friends. Thank you for tuning in. This is Taylor, your host with the Particularly Peculiar podcast. Um, Today, we are going to be diving into something that is kind of in between the, you know, true hard, cold facts of a true crime case and something that is uh, the outer edges or the out of this realm type of things like hauntings or ghosts or things like that. Today, I wanted to talk about medical mysteries, um, some particularly peculiar medical shit. So <laughs> my reasoning for coming up with this uh, podcast episode topic today is because I have been in and out of the medical field basically since I graduated college the first time I was in college. And I really do love the medical field. Um, it is something that is near and dear to my heart. I would say the biggest reason I am so interested in medicine is all the different diagnoses. So I am currently in college as well, as I mentioned in our little intro. If you didn't hear that, I am a full-time college student as well. I am studying um, human services with a minor in psych and business. And the reason why I am choosing that path was I initially intended to become a therapist or a uh, counselor. I noticed that obviously some things have changed on my path. I'm obviously here podcasting, which wasn't something I thought I would be doing uh, a year ago or two years ago, like when COVID started, but here I am. So I am so interested in medical stuff, um, weird medical oddities and psychology and all that stuff. So that is one of the reasons I chose to do this today. So today I have multiple different topics I will be talking about, um, and they are going to be particularly peculiar, you guys, they are going to really be like, what the hell? What is this? How do these things happen? So let's go ahead and dive in here. The first story, um, and it'll kind of, I know I haven't done an episode yet. This is my first episode. So I'm just going to explain to you guys uh, how my episode will happen. So I'm going to kind of read a little bit about what I'm discussing today. And then I want to also give a real life account at the end of my description. So that's kind of how the layout will be today. So the very first thing I want to talk about today is something called Cagra syndrome. Cagra syndrome is a mental disorder and it is a disorder that is so rare it hasn't even been recognized in the DSM-5. If you don't know what the DSM-5 is, it is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of mental disorder classification. So this is like the encyclopedia of all the mental health disorders, basically. So Cagra syndrome is a disorder that is typically caused by some sort of brain damage. It usually presents itself in those who suffer from dementia or other neurological disorders. The most striking symptom of this syndrome is that those who suffer from Cagra believe that their loved ones have been replaced by imposters. So this is not to be confused with imposter syndrome, which I know it's kind of like a thing that you see on TikTok a lot, um, things like that. Imposter syndrome is when you feel as though there's no way you're possibly good enough to deserve what you have or you're doubting abilities and you feel like a fraud this is a different kind of imposter syndrome. So although Cagra has had pretty much that exact same name, it was actually nicknamed imposter syndrome before. These are very different illnesses. But could you imagine that? Could you imagine like, oh my gosh, like looking at your husband or your mom 
and like you recognize them, but you don't think that they're who you know and who you love. So how does something like that happen? Well, okay. So when we see a face that we would recognize, our central nervous system, which consists of our brain and our spinal cord, will basically scan the features of the face that we're looking at. But then we have something called our extended nervous system that relates all this emotion to this face that we're looking at. And that is kind of what contributes to the recognition and how we know that person is my mother. You know, I'm looking at my mother, I'm seeing my mother, but there's also all this love and all this emotion and all the all these feelings, whatever that those feelings may be, that that's your mother. You know, if your mother had a twin, you would see that person who looks just like your mother, but doesn't have those same emotional connections, right? So that's kind of the basis here. But there, alas, is no twin. And you actually think that this person that you're looking at is this person that you're supposed to know and love or care about or whatever. And you think they've been replaced with someone who looks exactly like your loved one, but that is not them. Like what? That is so crazy to me. To try and fathom something like that is just wild. Like I'm speechless right now, even trying to put into words how you could feel about that. I mean, you really wouldn't know what to do in that situation until you were in it, I imagine. So basically, like I was saying before, there is that connection between the central nervous system and then our extended nervous system that really brings all these things together to form that connection and that recognition. With Kagra, there is that recognizing the face, but the recogni- recognition, excuse me, the recognition of the emotion is not there. Doctors don't really exactly know how this happens. They believe this may be due to some sort of broken connection between the two symptoms, but they're just not sure why. Obviously, like I said before, it does occur in people who suffer from things such as dementia or other neurological disorders uh, like epilepsy, traumatic brain injury can cause this issue, brain tumors, even suffering from like alcoholism can lead to someone suffering from Kagras syndrome. So there's just something there that is affecting that brain makeup that the neurological makeup that is just messing with those wires there. So very, very interesting. Currently, it looks like the typical treatment um, includes simple medication and therapy. Since I kind of went through that overview of Kagras syndrome and what it's all about, I do want to go into a personal story. I found an article on the Psychiatric Times. It's by, excuse me if I mispronounce this name, but it's by Dr. Jeremy Mudasak and Dr. Matthew Para. So let's go ahead and get started here on the story about Mary. So Mary was a 40-year-old woman. She was referred to a psychiatric hospital for evaluation um, out of concern that a mental health diagnosis was interfering with her ability to appropriately and safely care for her child. The patient had stated on numerous occasions that her nine-year-old daughter, Sarah, had been placed in the custody of Child Protective Services and was actually replaced by an imposter. Mary also reported that she had actually given birth to twins, but that the hospital only recorded the birth of Sarah. On occasion, she had shown up at her daughter's school, refusing to pick her up, take her home, and was screaming, give me my real daughter. I know what you've done with her. 
So, I mean, just imagine that, that poor little girl. I could not even begin. Despite reassurance from multiple healthcare providers and relatives, Mary continued to express concern that her daughter was not her own. Furthermore, she related several episodes in which her daughter was whisked away before she could talk to her um, while she was going about her daily business. For example, Mary related that a car driven by an unknown person with Sarah in the passenger seat passed by her while she was out running errands. But once she noticed, they sped away. After Mary's initial evaluation, she was diagnosed with Kugra. The results of the evaluation indicated that Mary's condition was indeed a delusion. It was a fixed false belief that persisted over time. Attempts to redirect or foster the development of insight were in vain. Given the patient's suspiciousness regarding her daughter's true identity, social services questioned Mary's ability to parent effectively. Although she was prescribed medication, two milligrams of risperidone at bedtime to be exact, Mary responded poorly and her delusions persisted. Her medication was subsequently titrated to a total dose of four milligrams, but she still had a very poor response. Mary's adherence with the prescribed medication regimen was questioned, but the intervals between prescription refills and pills did suggest that she was adherent with her medication. So after two months of regular follow-ups and medication management, she continued to display poor insight into the nature of her illness. She refused to entertain the possibility that Sarah was truly hers or the possibility that her thought process was even slightly distorted. At that time, the Department of Social Services sought guardianship of her daughter until Mary herself could be deemed fit to parent. Following the hearing, her daughter was placed into the custody of the Department of Social Services. In response, her daughter replied, I love my mom, except for when she doesn't believe I'm me. Wow. During visitations that were supervised by social services, Mary flat out refused to talk with her daughter. She still maintained that she was not Sarah and that the real Sarah had been hidden away from her. So again, that was an article written by uh, doctors Jeremy Mudasak and doctors or Dr. Matthew Para. It was uh, published in Psychiatric Times, volume 28, number two. So that is just a crazy, crazy recounting, essentially, of Mary and essentially Sarah's whole ordeal with Kagra syndrome. Again, like I said, I just could not imagine to be that poor little girl. I mean, to be that mother, which I feel like is also traumatizing, you know, like we need to look at both sides of that. Like, how traumatizing would that be to actually believe that you had twins or that you know one of your children was taken away from you and then to think that the daughter that you do have was actually taken from you replaced with an imposter and then social services also took that (laughs) imposter um wow that's just mind-blowing but then you have little sarah who has to be standing there at school watching her mother scream that's not my daughter that's not my daughter you know, and be taken away from her mom, from her mom, who she obviously loves, as she said, you know, but wow, that's just a whole different level of trauma. I can't even, cannot even imagine. So I do want to go on to our next case. It's something that you guys may have seen or heard before. Um, I'm going to get into something that's more real this time, something that's not 
I can't say more real, but that's more tangible, I suppose I should say. So why I say some of you may have heard of this is it is a story from the show Monsters Inside Me. Now, I don't know if anyone else has watched Monsters Inside Me, but um, I was obsessed with this show when I was younger. Um, If you don't know what this show is, it was a show on Animal Planet, I do believe. It was about parasites and other things um, that could live inside of someone's body. Hence the name, obviously. Um, And I will never forget this case. So this case was just crazy. And it was about a girl named Kara Eccles. So this one is a little bit different. I'm actually going to tell a story first, and then I'm going to kind of explain a little bit about what her diagnosis was. So Kira was a young woman living in Ohio um, who came down with a mystery illness. Originally, Kira simply started with complaining of headache, body aches, neck stiffness, almost maybe like a flu or something like that. Now, if you've ever seen literally probably a single episode of Monsters Inside Me, (laughs) I'm sure you can guess what they originally thought she was suffering from. Well, if you haven't seen it, they had speculated that Kira was suffering from meningitis, which is swelling of the meninges around the brain and the spinal cord. Now, the reason why they were quick to jump onto the meningitis train is that the headache, body aches, and neck stiffness. So, meninges, again, as I said, they surround the spinal cord and the brain. When they start to get swollen, the meningitis, the itis of the meninge, when they start to swell and inflame, it causes a lot of that neck stiffness. And it's often associated with other types of symptoms like headache, body aches, chills, fever, etc. Because, you know, you're sick, right? Well, anyway, the testing she was having done refuted the diagnosis of meningitis. But while they were searching for answers, she was progressively getting worse. So basically, she was still suffering from the symptoms that she had mentioned earlier, but it was progressing. She started to develop some lightheadedness, double vision, which some of that can occur with meningitis, but not as common. And she even started developing bouts of passing out or blacking out. Although Kiera was married at the time, of her episodes here, her husband was deployed. So she actually had to move back in with her parents and they had to care for her all over again like she was just a young girl. And although this all seems terrible enough, it gets even worse. Kira started suffering from delusions. She conjured up magical stories of goblins, demons, things moving around her that were really supposed to be stationary. She even mentioned talking pictures and things like that. And eventually she progressed to screaming for hours on end about being in labor and having these pains and she was having a baby, but she was not even pregnant. Now in the show Monsters Inside Me, you can see actual footage of one of her outbursts and it still just like creeps me out so bad. I get goosebumps even thinking about it. It was footage of Kira mumbling, almost like she was speaking in tongues, like she was possessed. She's looking around the room like she's surprised or confused. And eventually what this led to was a recommendation that Kira be admitted to a psych ward. Kira's family was like, nope, not buying it. They didn't believe she had any issues with mental illness before. And where would this 
bout of psychosis come from, if you could even call it that, you know, I mean, it's just wild. So they eventually ended up at the University Hospital of Cincinnati for treatment for a second diagnosis, second answer, second opinion, jeesh. Um, And they actually realized she was exhibiting symptoms of a rare encephalitis. After doing an MRI of her abdomen and pelvis, they actually found something on her ovary. So the next step was surgery. Kiera had what is called a teratoma. Teratomas are tumors. These tumors are basically just a bunch of typical cells that are just growing out of control. But the thing that makes these tumors so strange is that teratomas can be made out of cells from anywhere in your body. And they can be anywhere in your body. So... It's like, well, why was Kara having all these weird symptoms, all these neurological symptoms if she was, you know, having some cysts on her ovaries? Weird, right? Well, it's because Kiera's was a teratoma that contained brain cells. So essentially, Kiera's body could not differentiate, differentiate between fighting the teratoma brain cells or her actual brain. That's scary in and of itself. Okay. Like you're telling me that I can just sprout a tumor that is growing brains that like, am I going to form a second brain somewhere? Like what? But listen, teratomas can actually develop all sorts of things. So since they can be made of any cells in your body, teratomas have been known to have hair. They've been known to have bone teeth, and even eyeballs. I mean, a what? No. No, thank you. I don't care. That is creepy. And it's real. It's real, guys. Like, I think that's the creepiest thing about it is like, yeah, it's spooky, scary, but also it can really happen. And it can happen at any time to anyone, to any man or woman, at any age, anywhere in the body. It can be cancerous. It can be non-cancerous. You don't know. It's literally just like whatever it decides to do that day. That's what happens, right? So that was one of my, uh, one of the few things that (laughs) really got me interested in the medical field. And also one of the things that scarred me as a child. Like, why was I doing that to myself watching shit like that? I don't know, but I was. (laughs) Okay, you guys. So the last thing I want to talk about today is Cotter's syndrome, or we can call it its spooky name, the walking corpse syndrome. So what is walking corpse syndrome? Walking corpse syndrome is a mental disorder. And those who have this disease suffer from delusions that they do not exist, that they are maybe missing vital organs, that they are dead, They can even go to the extent to believe that they are dead and rotting and they can claim that they are smelling their own flesh rotting away. Let's dive into this. So I found this on a medindia.com. Studies indicate that this disease is more prevalent in older patients and patients with depression. It's more likely to occur in people with schizophrenia, bipolar disorders, brain injuries, seizure disorders like epilepsy, tumors, stroke, etc. And, you know, if they've had issues with delirious states in the past. But 
I really, they don't know what causes this issue. Uh, so that's cool, <laughs> right? That's scary. Again, like I said, those who have walking corpse syndrome or Cotard syndrome believe that they are dead, that they may be missing vital organs, things like that. Um, people who have this illness have actually gone to such lengths um, to harm themselves. Like they think that they are supposed to be dead, right? So it's almost a given that they are likely to attempt um, trigger warning. They're likely to attempt suicide. Um they want to kill the body that they're in, you know, because truly they don't believe that they should be here. They don't believe they belong here. They believe they should be dead. There is actually reports of even um, dying from starvation because they deprive themselves of food. You know, they don't need it. They have no need for it. They don't need food or water. Um, they're the living dead. Makes sense, I suppose, right? If you're a zombie. Like, that's logical. Zombies are logical, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, leading up to someone developing this syndrome, um, they were likely to have depression. They may have like a nagging sense of guilt or negativity. And they may show like a really high threshold to pain, which is just kind of weird. And also, some of the people with Cotard syndrome may also believe that they are paralyzed when they aren't and they may also develop auditory or olfactory hallucinations which means that they just hear and even smell things that aren't there as we said you know smelling like rotting rotting flesh another thing that's really strange about this one and it kind of relates back to my first one a little bit is that people with this disorder cannot recognize their own face so it's not that they think they're an imposter or they think their loved ones are imposters or anything like, like they don't recognize their own face. They think that's not them. That's not correct. They should not be alive. So that cannot possibly be their face, right? Which is just wild. I mean, wow. Of course, I think it goes without saying that they show very little to no interest in a social life or anything that brings them pleasure. Um, they are also usually very paranoid and they'll just go about neglecting their own hygiene because, again, they have no need to be hygienic, right? Um, so they won't brush their teeth. They won't brush their hair. They won't change their clothes. They won't shower. They won't bathe. Current treatment right now, uh, just again, it involves working with antidepressants um, antipsychotics and mood stabilizers. And sometimes they actually say that electroconvulsive therapy or, uh, the electric therapy, electric shock therapy, I should say, in a combination with medications has been reported to be more effective than just working with medications alone. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't know what that is targeting. I don't know enough about electroconvulsive therapy to speak on that, but, I do hope to do a an episode on electroconvulsive therapy in the future. So maybe we can circle back and kind of have some answers with that one. So for the last real life encounter, the last story of today's episode, we are going to be looking at an article I found from New Scientist. Um, they identify the man in this story as Graham. That's the only name they gave. I assume it's changed, been changed. He awoke after a suicide attempt. Um, he tried to electrocute himself in his bathtub. He didn't succeed. When he woke up, 
he felt like his brain was dead. Graham says, I just felt like my brain didn't exist anymore. He recalls it was a bizarre state of consciousness. I kept on telling the doctors that the tablets weren't going to do me any good because I didn't have a brain. I'd fried it in the bath. I lost my sense of smell, my sense of taste. I didn't need to eat or speak or do anything. I ended up spending time in the graveyard because that was the closest I could get to death. Creepy, y'all. Very creepy. I mean, that's just amazing. It's like, I don't even know what to say about that one. It's just so odd. Attempting to commit suicide by electrocution and waking up feeling like you somewhat succeeded, right? So there was a doctor, Dr. Stephen Luray. Stephen Lores, I'm not sure how you say it. He was at the University of Liège in Belgium, um, and he consulted on Graham's case. What he looked at was a PET scan. So a PET scan is, it's a scan. <laughs> They're most commonly done um, with people who have things like cancer to kind of detect those like hot spots that show up. Anyway, he said that he's been looking at PET scans for years. And I don't know if maybe PET scans also relate to brain function and things like that. I would assume that'd be more like an EEG, but I don't really know. Again, I don't know enough about that stuff to speak on it. But he says he's been analyzing these scans for over 15 years and he had never seen anyone who had such an abnormal scan result who was up and interacting with people. He said that Graham's brain, his functions, his pattern resembles someone like a brain of someone who was in a coma or uh, under anesthesia, which I think that's crazy. Um, I was recently in a sleep and dreams class and the first half of the class, we actually discussed sleep and dreams and brain waves and the differences between sleep and coma and why it's different. So I just think that's so crazy that although, and I mean, this is what I'm saying is even sleep sleep uh, sleep wave does not look the same as a coma brain wave like they are very very different from each other so it's not even like this guy just had like it's not like he was just really sleepy and felt weird <laughs> and his brain you know might look like he was just like sluggish tired not reacting properly not reacting to stimuli properly no like his brain activity looked like he was in a coma wild bonkers so this is one thing that m may be a reason for this syndrome or this altered experience um they think that it could be reduced metabolism i don't know how I don't know how that could be the case, but they were saying that this could maybe give him some sort of altered experience, uh, give him some altered view of the world, and also affect his ability to reason about what he was experiencing. And I don't know if that could have been due to the electrocution. I don't know. That's just amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. All of these stories today have been amazing, crazy, weird, dare I say, these were particularly peculiar. And you see what I did there? I know. I know. You, you can laugh. It's okay. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me today, you guys. Uh, make sure to tune in next week. Um, we're going to be doing weekly episodes on Tuesdays. 
Don't forget to rate and don't forget to follow. We are on all streaming platforms. Go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram at particularly peculiar pod. Also, please feel free to share any recommendations, any personal stories, literally anything that you want to email me, email me. I don't care. I want to hear it, you guys. I want to hear from you. I am so stoked to start getting stuff in my inbox and interact. Email me at T-A-Y-L-O-R at particularlypeculiar.com. All right. I will see you again. Until next time, my peculiar people.